to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark the fifth chapter. And um, amen. There's a lot of verses here. I'm not sure that we're going to read them all. We may just um, quote from some of this. Amen. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. And I do have connection. This is not in my notes. Amen. I just feel compelled to go this way, sister. Thank you. Amen. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, him being Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Notice what this man is confessing out of his mouth, humbling himself before Jesus, giving Jesus. This was an important man. Um, When it says a ruler of the synagogue, This was one of the more prominent men in that whole area. We see about Nicodemus, prominent man who came to Jesus, but he came by night. This man came, broad open daylight, front of everybody. He didn't say, "Uh, Jesus, you know, could, could I see you for a moment? No, no. Fell down at his feet. Confessed with his mouth that if Jesus would come and lay his hands on his sick baby, sick daughter, that she would be healed and that she would live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Okay, so now we've got another person in this story who's also in need of a miracle. It's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. There's no telling how weak she was, how um, sickly she was, and in addition to having a chronic, severe physical condition, it was also terminal. In other words, she couldn't continue like this. And in Desperation, she'd spent, we'd say it this way, every penny she had trying to find somebody who could help her, some cure. And so when it says that she suffered many things at the hands of the physicians, some historians believe that we kill the father of this country, George Washington, by letting blood out of him. That was kind of crude medical science in those days, and so you can only imagine what it was in this day, things that they promised would help her and things that, remember, these are pre-anesthesia days, and this is horrible. And she was none the better, but rather continued to get worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. All right, look at me again for a moment. This particular miracle is recorded in more than one gospel. And if you read all three, you see that different gospel writers had different perspectives on what was happening here. And we get different details, not conflicting details, but just 
more details from the different accounts. What, what we know is that before she had ever went out on that street to try to touch Jesus, that she had been saying within herself continually, if I but touch the hem of his garments, I'll be made well. Now, it was rumored that he was the Messiah. Somehow she had heard faith by hearing. I believe her faith was based upon what the prophet Malachi said of Jesus, and that is that when he came, the Messiah came to the earth, that there would be healing in his wings. And that's not like the wings of a bird, but that's the garments, the, the tassels that hang um, from the garment. And so I believe based upon her knowledge of the word, her belief that Jesus was the Messiah, she began to build her faith by saying within herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, because there's healing in the, in the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Verse 29, she touched it. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, and the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She believed she'd be able to slip in there, grab hold of the hem of his garment, be healed, and then slip on back to her house. If you understand the law of Moses, because she was bleeding, she was considered unclean and could have gotten in serious legal trouble for being in a crowd with an issue of blood. So she was going to try to do this very quickly, very covertly. But of course, Jesus called her out, right? But the woman, fearing and trembling, again, verse 33, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, we could certainly make the case that Jesus healed her but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said her faith is what made her well. Her faith is what made her well. Now, we've been in a very lengthy study here on Wednesday night on the subject of faith. In the course of our study, We've learned that the devil has deceived a lot of people with something that seems like faith, feels like faith, mimics faith in so many ways that it's very, very difficult for not just the average person, but for the average born-again believer to tell the difference between this counterfeit faith and genuine faith. I'm proceeding gently here because few things will offend people quicker than you suggesting there might be something that needs to be adjusted. <laughs> what am I saying? Something wrong with your faith. Yeah. Right? Because we live in a, a, a religious age where we're supposed to pretend like everybody is a faith genius, a faith guru, a faith ninja. We're faith experts. 
And if somehow we don't make the connection by faith, God let us down, or it wasn't his will, or this or that. We never want to dare consider that maybe we've got some room to grow in this extremely important subject of faith. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand tonight. And I know that these things are all potentially controversial, can of worms, all that other stuff, all right? But I'm just asking you tonight, I'm going to raise my hand. Matter of fact, I'll go ahead and raise it, okay? And I'm raising my hand to say yes to this question. Have I ever thought, convinced that I believe God and didn't receive what I was convinced I believed him for and was confused about it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, obviously, there could be a lot of different reasons behind that. And I'm not saying this is the universal answer or even the, what would be a 100% of the time what's behind that. But I know what the Lord spoke to my heart. And he spoke to my heart that his children have put their trust in probability instead of his ability. And probability so resembles faith. I call it quasi-faith, quasi-faith. Something that is quasi is something that is almost, but not quite. Something that is seemingly so, but really isn't. It's quasi-faith. The devil makes his living by deceiving us, by deceiving mankind. The Bible says that he always deceives. He'll be thrown into the bottomless pit for a very long time. People will be free from his deception. He'll be released from that bottomless pit for a brief period of time before he's cast into the lake of fire forever. And when he's released from that bottomless pit, he will return right back to trying to deceive people. He has been deceiving mankind for thousands and thousands of years. He has become very skilled at it. He is hoping that you will try to match him wit for wit. Because as I've said before, and I'll keep on saying, you are no match for him in the realm of logic. You are no match for him in the realm of reason. But he is no match for you in the realm of the spirit and in the realm of faith. That's where he can't handle you, he can't contain you, he can't stop you. That's why he tries so desperately to keep you from ever understanding anything about faith, ever operating in faith, ever growing and developing in faith, because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Apart from faith, Apart from faith, every human being, even born-again believers, apart from faith, are dependent upon this world system. Faith is what severs our dependency upon the world system and enables us to function in the system also known as God's kingdom. And, and the provisions that are there, the resources that are there, I don't, I don't want to stray too far down this road, but let me just for a moment, because I had some questions last, after last week about this world. God created this world, and he created all that's in it. And then he put Adam in charge. And he equipped Adam to take authority over, have dominion over, and, and subdue anything that got out of a line. 
out of, out of line or out of alignment with God's plans for this earth. We know that Adam was deceived by the enemy. Adam and Eve, they were deceived by the enemy. And if you look very carefully at it, if you think I'm stretching this to fit, just stay tuned in the weeks ahead. But where he deceived them, it comes back to this concept of probability. Let me give you a simpler word than probability, chance. Luck. He told them that God said don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat from that, you will be like God. If you eat that fruit, it's, it's going to make you even bigger and better and stronger and more powerful than you are right now. That's why God is, is saying don't eat it. So notice, they took a chance at the risk of their lives because God said the day you eat it, you'll die. And the devil said, no, no, you won't die. You'll be like God. And so they separated themselves from God, set out on their own, and that first step of separation was taking the chance that the fruit would not kill them, but make them like God. Are you seeing this? Faith would have said, I trust what God said. I trust that this that what he has for me is the best, that there is nothing better than what he has for me. To step outside of what he has for me is not going to make me better. It's not going to be better. It's going to, it's going to, right? See, that, that would have been trust. They, they traded their birthright of faith for the red soup. Now, now somebody thought I was saying the red suit, like a suit of clothes, okay? So if somebody else thought that, then somebody else may think that, okay? So let me explain when the Lord said to us a few Wednesdays ago, do not trade your birthright of faith for the red soup, for the red soup of probability. That's taken from the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. Esau had the birthright and the blessing, but he came back from a hunting trip, was very hungry. His brother was making some red soup, some broth, and he asked for a bowl of it, and Jacob being conniving, being a deceiver himself, he said, I will give you the bowl of soup for your birthright. He just traded, and I, I'm trying to just put this in terminology, he just traded $10 million, and that don't even cover it because it doesn't just include financial blessing. He just traded $10 million for a McDonald's Happy Meal. So when Father says to you and me, do not trade your birthright of faith for the red soup of probability, he's, he's trying to say that faith is what's precious, faith is what's eternal, faith is what's valuable, and the, and the, the, the appealing, appetizing, um, easy to slurp down, easy to digest, quickly you know, giving you a, a fix of nourishment or what have you, that, of, of probability that the enemy's offering you, it's a lousy deal, it's a lousy trade, don't take it. Clearly, clearly, Adam and Eve traded their birthright of faith for the red soup of probability. Now, this one subject, and it's, it's wonderful, it's glorious, don't misunderstand me. To give you some idea, I probably have 10 hours of notes right now. And they just keep coming. I probably sat in front of my computer screen for an hour and a half today. I'm like, Lord, where do I even go with this? Where, where, do, where do I even start? I mean, it's like, anyway, I'm not, maybe I shouldn't even be saying all that and wasting the time to talk about that. Um, I'm very thankful for it anything and everything the Lord has ever taught me. But he's never, he's, he's, never has he led me to a subject that it's like there's such an urgency on it. It's almost kind of like when he was trying to just, Moses agreed with me. You know, it was like, Moses, well, you know, I kind of stutter and I'm a little bashful and I got that 
murder warrant out. You know, he's, and, and God is like, just, it was almost like this urgency on Father's behalf. You know, it's like, just, just agree with me, Moses, we can deal with it. Just, just you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of urgency. I don't know how to explain this to you. It's that kind of urgency, man, that, that, the, that the Lord is wanting to, to expose the deception of the enemy when it comes to this subject of faith, this quasi-faith that he's deceived so many of us with so that the true and genuine faith that he's given us can rise to the surface in our lives and begin to, to, to change things and, and receive things and, 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 and remove things and, 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 and produce victories in our lives in, in a way that, that, as his word says, has not yet entered into our wildest imagination. I'm literally sitting here trying to figure out which of five things to say to you right now. Let's go back to the story, because I really felt like, obviously I didn't think today that that was where I needed to be tonight, because I prepared a whole different set of notes. But Mark 5, let's, let's start there. Because one of the things that, that we need to see is probability and God's ability next to one another so that we can, can compare one to the other very closely and, and see the difference. Now in Mark 5, we have Jairus who's come to Jesus, by the way, in faith, genuine faith. Humbled himself, given Jesus the place that he deserves, recognizing him publicly for who he is. Confesses out of his mouth what he's already believed in his heart. Sitting there watching his daughter grow worse and worse, sicker and sicker, life leaving her body. What are we going to do? Who are we going to call? Jairus was a man of God. I believe he cried out to God for help and God said, go find Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't do anything unless his father told him to do it. So when Jairus goes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I will go and heal her. God, and, God the Father and Jesus the Son were on the same page with that. But we think that it was just a random thing, chance, that Jairus decided he would come to Jesus. No, I believe that he cried out to God for help and God said, Jesus can, can heal her. Jesus can, can uh, heal her and she will live. Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, right? Somewhere Jairus heard and faith was aroused and activated, awakened in his life. You say, well, Pastor Mark, the Bible doesn't say that. Okay, well, I mean, just use your imagination and if you don't believe me, you'll find out when we get to heaven. I was right. You can ask Jairus. No, I'm just kidding. All right. If you will sit down with these stories and not just read them, but meditate on them and, and bend your mind around them, there are people who were at the wedding feast in Cana. I'm going to recognize them when I get to heaven. I spent so many years visualizing that story that I believe I know some of them folks. Amen. And, and so that's what I'm saying. You, this was real. I mean, how it smelt on the street, the dust, the, all these other things, right? So... However he got there, it was genuine faith in Jairus' heart. And so they're going quickly because his daughter's very near death. And then this woman comes and slows him down.
Now, here is the part that is a little bit hard to deal with. But we need to deal with it, and we need to learn from it. In two different verses in Mark 5, we see that it wasn't just a crowded street, but the street was crowded because of a multitude of people thronging Jesus. Thronging him. Think of someone very famous getting out of their limousine and going into uh, some event, some hotel or whatever, and fans thronging that person. They're trying to get to that person. They want to see that person. They want to touch that person. They want to be near that person. That's a throng. That's a, a crowd thronging an individual. And we see very clearly pointed out to us twice in this passage that a multitude of people were thronging Jesus when all of this went down. Jairus, and then the woman, I picture in my mind, the hem of his garment would have been close to the ground. I picture in my mind, and a friend of mine, Sis Dixon, brought, I don't know where she got that. Somebody sent it to her. She, anyway, it's a picture of ankles, a whole bunch of ankles, and you see a woman's hand pressing through and reaching for the hem of Jesus' garment. In other words, she couldn't, she's too weak and frail to pull everybody out of the way. I believe she got down on the ground, people stepping on her and all that stuff, reached in there and grabbed the hem of his garment. Now, the multitude of people who were thronging Jesus they were touching him also. Because remember when he said, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him like, Jesus, have you lost your mind? Did you really just ask me who touched you? People are thronging you, sir. In the last five minutes, sir, at least 150 people have touched you. Why, why are you asking us who touched you? Probability throngs. Faith touches. Probability says, I got a daughter that's sick. Maybe if I touch Jesus, something might happen for her. I got problem in my back, I've got, I, in other words, all of those people were not thronging Jesus just because they thought he was some rock star. They were thronging him because they heard that he had touched people and people had been healed. They're pushing in like a, like just, like just a mob, reaching through, just trying to touch him. Watch this now. In hopes... that if they touch him, something will change in their body. Some healing will happen in their lives. Some difference will be made for somebody that they know that has a need. But none of them were healed. Because again, listen to what I was saying. It wasn't faith that touched him. It was, uh, I don't know if Jesus can help us or not, but what do we got to lose? It was that kind of mindset, right? It was that kind of attitude. It was that, it, in other words, it wasn't, it wasn't based upon his ability. 
It was based upon probability. I mean, it may work, it may not, but you know, the least we can do is just go down there and try to get a hand on him and see what happens, right? See, that's not faith. I know this may come as a shock to you, but there were lots of people who touched Jesus that were not made, when I say touched Him, who had contact, physical contact with Him, that were not made well. He, he, see, we got this idea. Let's go back to where we were Sunday morning. I know, I know most of you were probably not here Sunday morning. But the Bible says Jesus is in this home. And the home is crowded. You can't even get in any of the doors. People are outside. And in that home are a whole bunch of religious leaders, Pharisees. And the Bible says that the power of God was present in that home to heal them, heal the Pharisees. It was their day. It was, it was, it was Father's will. Jesus was in the house. The power of God to heal was in the house. There were sick people who needed healing in the house. And not a one of them are getting healed. Not a one of them are being helped. Man, when this jumped off the page at me a couple of weeks ago. Because I would have thought, probably like a lot of you, if Jesus is there, if the power of God to heal people is there, if it's Father's will for the people present to be healed, if it's His will for the people present who are sick to be healed, it's Father's will, and there's a whole bunch of sick people there that Father God wants healed, Jesus wants healed, you would think that that was all that would be needed for people to be healed. It wasn't. What was needed? It came in the form of a paralyzed man carried by four friends. They ripped the roof off the house. They lowered Jesus down. And Jesus said, the Bible says, when he saw their faith. He said, well, why was everybody there that day? I'm sure there were some people there just trying to confuse Jesus and see if they could get him to do something that they, because that was the Pharisees' M.O., you know, try to follow him around and, and, and you know, catch him with their iPhone doing something that he shouldn't be doing so they could, you know, go tell on him, whatever that. There was that element. But again, it, it was the same deal. I think they were, a lot of them were there because remember they kept saying over and over again, if, if you're the Messiah, show us. Do a sign, do a trick, do a miracle, do something. If, you, if that's really, notice that's not faith. That's not faith. That is what is it? Let's talk about what it is. That is, you know, we're really not sure, Jesus, there's a chance that you might really be the Messiah. <laughs> Probability. See? Probability. It's a chance that may really be who he is. Remember, he's hanging on the cross. This continues. It continues to this day, but it continued. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he cries out in Aramaic, Alawe, Alawe, Lama Sabatana. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they're all down there gambling for his clothes, cutting the fool, making fun of him like it's some kind of party. And he cries out from his guts because he has to push up on the nails in his feet to get oxygen to even speak, you know, to breathe, much less to even speak. And he gets the pressure off his, of his diaphragm by pushing up on those nails through his feet. And he screams out a guttural scream, Elijah, And they go, oh my God, he's calling for Elijah. The kids are gone, please. I, I know I shouldn't say this. Forgive me, moms, but I'm going to say it anyway. Stupid! So stupid! They didn't even know what he said. He's calling for Elijah. He's calling for Elijah. Everybody be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Because for some of them, there was a chance Elijah just might answer him. Kind of quiet like it is right now. Ha, 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 ha. See, Elijah didn't answer him. He's not the Messiah. Did I say stupid while ago? Stupid? Stupid means somebody who's in a stupor. They were in a drunken stupor. I'm not saying on alcohol. Anger, rage, pride. 
They were in a stupor, so they were being stupid, so I just justified me saying that, all right? But I'm trying to show you how chance is a factor in all of this. There were a lot of people that day who went home disappointed. There were a lot of people that day who went home convinced that he didn't have any power to heal anybody. There were a lot of people who, you know, said, well, you know, we tried. Jesus taught us how to pray. And when he taught us how to pray, you going to love me when I get through with this? I know you will. Turn with me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. To Matthew chapter 6, and I'll finish right here. I know it's late. Matthew chapter 6, and verse number 5. I'm trying to get you to see the difference between genuine faith and the deceptive counterfeit of putting our confidence in chance, putting our confidence probability, probably. Remember, probably means evidence that it's true. So if something is 95% probable to happen. There's still the 5%. There's, that's why it's so deceptive. It, it so mimics faith, but, but no matter what, probability will always have doubt and let the man, let not the man who doubts should not expect to receive anything from God. Alright, Jesus is going to teach us on prayer here. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, and when you pray you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Not if you pray, but when you pray. But notice he's talking about not praying to be seen, right? But to pray in secret, and Father hears you in secret, he rewards you openly. Now listen to this next verse, verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. They think they will be heard for their many words. They think their prayers will be answered, one translation says, for their much asking. They think that if they can just get enough people to pray enough, that God will answer the prayer. He said, this is how heathen think. This is how people who don't know God think. It's not prayer. Because it's not faith. The mindset here is this. The more people we have praying the greater the chance we have. Did you hear that word? The greater the chance we have of the prayer being answered. It's kind of like if you buy one lottery ticket versus if you buy a hundred lottery tickets. You improve your odds of winning. Are you hearing me? And this is what passes in the body of Christ today for faith. I've heard people say, we had people praying in seven states. It must not have been God's will because she died anyway. You see? You see the mindset there, right? Because the mindset is 
Surely with that many lottery tickets, somebody would get it right. God is not a God of chance. Matter of fact, I've been trying to correct my vocabulary even to this extent. You don't have to do this, but I'm just telling you. All right. He's not a God of a second chance. He gives us opportunities. And he's a God of endless opportunities. Not he's giving you another chance. No, 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 no. Don't cheapen it. Don't cheapen it. It cost him the blood of his son to give you another opportunity to miss a devil's hell and have his highest and best for your life. Let's not call it a chance anymore. I'm going to take my chances. No, no, no. See, that's been the problem. We've left too much to chance and called whatever happened God's will. I was walking out of my house this morning. There's more to come on all this. I know, I know, amen. Just amen. Let me, you need to hear this. The Lord has corrected me, and I, I'll explain this in greater detail. I thought I was going to do it tonight. I'll explain it in greater detail uh, in the coming days. I can't promise next Wednesday because of, amen, but in the coming days. But let me just, if I could, give you this piece of it, all right? I've preached in the past that hope is sort of like pre-faith, that you start with hope and it becomes faith. That's wrong. I don't believe because I've hoped. I have hope because I've believed. It's a difference. I'll say that again. I don't believe because I've hoped. I have hope because I've believed. Only Pam knows this, but for several weeks now, my big toe on my right foot Thank you, Jesus. Man, it has hurt me. Oh, my goodness, it's hurt me. Especially on days when I'm on my feet, eight, ten hours. Man, I'll come home. I, 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 I told somebody this morning, I said, look, I've never limped in front of everybody, but there's been a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll come in on a Wednesday night and I'll be walking like, like that, you know, just to get over to the chair, you know, get my... So I've been talking about Faith is how we solve problems. Faith is how we solve problems, how God created us to solve problems, right? And no problem's too big, no problem's too small, no, no, no problem is too random or too unique, right? And so last Thursday morning, the Lord said, because he'd been teaching me some things about this, see, when you pray, you believe that you receive when you pray. And he says, if you believe you receive when you pray, you will have what you ask. Which implies what? You may not have it immediately. The context is Jesus spoke to the fig tree, but the fig tree didn't wither and die until the next morning. So there is sometimes a lag in between receiving, and that's where the devil comes in to try to get us in all kinds of probability thinking and blah, blah, blah. So the Lord said, you know, the Lord Jesus, you know, foot, how beautiful are the feet of him? You know, it's kind of phoning in some scriptures about it stuff. But last Thursday morning, I stood in my office before I went and taught my early classes, and I spoke to that toe like it was the biggest mountain on planet Earth. I released my faith. And I confessed out of my mouth, I believe that I receive, and now I choose confident expectation. And this is what the Lord told me to do. This was a huge breakthrough for me, folks. I hope it's a huge breakthrough for you. He said, I want you to check your toe, but every time you check it, don't check to see if it's still hurting. Check to see if it's well. 
See, I could like, how do you check it? Just barely move it, and you want to go, you know. That's the difference between confident and expect. Now, notice now, I have hope now because I have believed. Yes? Okay. If you're expecting a check in the mail, you don't go to the mailbox and open the door to see if it's not there. When you spray Roundup on the grass, you don't, the weeds, you don't look at the weeds to see if they're still alive. You look to see if they're dead yet because your expectation is they're going to die. Your expectation is the check's going to be in the mailbox. So you go to see if it's there, not if it's not there. I didn't check my toe to see if it wasn't healed. I checked to see if the healing had manifested yet because I'm in hope now. Hope became the sub, faith became the substance of what I hoped for, and the hope that I now have is because I believe God. I believed Him on Thursday morning. Started getting better Saturday, Sunday, all day. Hurt me a little bit Sunday. Monday, almost completely gone, kind of flared up a little bit again um, late Monday. Now I want you to watch me, okay? I'm rising up, I'm raising up on my toes, okay? Completely healed, healed. All right, now, I walk out of my house this morning. I go out the back and around, and it's early, and it's daylight. I bought Pam two bluebird houses three years ago, honey, four years ago. I don't know. Brother Jerry Goblin says if you think it was three years double, it was six. You know, so anyway, but some time ago, put them out there because she loves them. I love them too, but she really loves just those beautiful bluebirds. And we've heard of people buying those houses and bluebirds, families coming. And you can enjoy the bluebirds and all that stuff. So I put them out there, right? No bluebird, no bluebird, no bluebird, right? You know, so. So I'm walking down the sidewalk. I got all my stuff, my briefcase. I'm excited about the day, excited about Wednesday. And I get about halfway down the sidewalk and look over there, and a bluebird house across the yard catches my eye. And I said, man, I sure don't want some bluebirds in those houses. Why aren't there no bluebirds in my house? Bluebirds, me, 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 right? Man, the Holy Spirit. He said, when are you going to call some bluebirds into them houses? Now, listen, I don't know why the toe was easy. Them bluebirds, man, I'm telling you, I stood there on that sidewalk. I got to get moving. I'm standing on that sidewalk. I'm having like this, remember, spirit in one corner, flesh in the other, but the, the, the octagon is the mind, right? My mind's going everywhere, you know, and so I, I gave it my best shot, you know. Bluebirds, you come to these houses in Jesus' name. I believe that I receive whatever comes out of my mouth. I, I mean, I was giving it all my best effort, and it was like just going, I mean, it was like, you know. And I stood there, and I'm like, you know, Father, you know, this, and I'm battling that. And so I began to think, you know, the tornado came through. There ain't no bluebirds in Pleasant Grove. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, See, I didn't realize it, but here's, notice, what, notice what's going on in my mind. What are the odds of bluebirds coming to live in my two bluebird houses, right? I mean, you've got to have some bluebirds for bluebirds to come live in your houses, and, and there's probably other people who have bluebird houses, and the bluebirds were there, and not in my house, right, 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 right? You know what the Lord told me? He said, I can make a toucan live in that hickory tree if you can believe me. A bird that can only survive in South America. I can make it live in your backyard. I said, well, Lord, you know, Colonel goes to the bathroom out there. Then bluebirds are probably, he said, I can make them live in your mailbox if you can believe me. See? But notice where the battle was. What kept trying to neutralize my faith about them bluebirds? Probability. Chance. What are the chances? Bluebird. Well, you know, need to put a sign up, I guess. Bluebirds wanted. What do you, what do you, do? you know? It's like, what? How do you get them there, right? He reminded me that not even a sparrow falls to the ground that he doesn't know about. 
He knows where every bluebird on planet Earth is right now. He knows how many of them were hatched today and how many of them died today. How's a toucan go, man? I'm about ready to give me some toucan faith up in here. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that the one with the big beak on it? Yeah. Fruit Loop guy. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Amen. He brings Fruit Loops. You want them? Y'all get anything out of this? You make it. Is it? I want to. Listen, this is my heart because I. You, listen, my. I, I'm not. I'm supposed to be equipping you. I'm supposed to be equipping you. My job is to equip you. Amen. Get you ready. Get, help us, right? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you tonight. Tired of losing where we should be winning, Father, just to be as simple and honest with you as I know how to say it. And Lord, we're losing because we don't know how to use the faith to win. Trying to make anybody mad, not trying to make anybody feel condemned or guilty. Father, we've all missed it. We, we've all floundered around and stuff. We've all been deceived before, Lord, but that don't, that's no excuse for staying deceived. That's no excuse for continuing to believe that we've got something operating in our lives that we don't even understand yet, Lord. Father, we don't want to be like the people who throng you. We want to be like the woman who touched you. And the difference between her hand on your clothes and all those other hands on your clothes was faith. She went with joyful expectation. She went with excitement, Lord. She couldn't have been more excited if she had been going to unwrap a box of healing with her name on it. wasn't going to see if it would work. She had already knew that it had worked. Thank you, Jesus. Father, just help us see it, Lord. Help us see it when, when, when our trust is, is in probability instead of your ability. Help us by your spirit know the difference. Jesus, you said that things would come in the last days that would deceive the very elect. I believe this is one of those things you were talking about right here. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. That's the longest time I've ever preached on a Wednesday night. You be good. Good things coming.